let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you despise nothing you have made and forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create in us new and contrite hearts that lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, we may receive from you full pardon and forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The Old Testament reading for Ash Wednesday is from Joel, chapter 2. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will turn and relent? Whether or not, who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from 2 Peter chapter 1. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to be his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the sixth chapter. Jesus said, 
And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you don't know how bad the curse is, you will never fully treasure the cure. Think about it. If a person with a deadly terminal disease hears from his doctor, eh, you know, it's not that bad. We'll try a couple medications and you should be good as new, I think. Well, then one can hardly blame the patient for treating the disease like little more than a pesky bug, and the cure like a necessary inconvenience. On the other hand, if the doctor says, you have a disease, it is killing you as we speak, there is only one cure, and it must be administered immediately, then the patient will practically hit the floor begging for the cure to be administered that very second. Enter Ash Wednesday. Remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This sobering proclamation was spoken by God on humanity's worst day. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, there was a seismic shift in the created order of things, a deep corruption. With sin came death. Our first parents had been holy, knowing only good. Now, having disobeyed God's command and having consumed what was forbidden by God, they knew evil by doing evil. As St. Paul writes, sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. God's warning proved true. And the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The ashes smeared on our foreheads this evening remind us of our mortality. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You are dying, and so am I. We do not like this reality. In fact, we hate it. And so it only makes sense that we hate any and all reminders of our mortality. Aches, pains, sickness, disease of body and mind, and yes, death. But you see, death is not the real problem. It is only a symptom of a much larger problem, a deeper corruption. We die because we are sinners. At the beginning of the divine service, we confess that we are, by nature, sinful and unclean. We are poor, miserable sinners. But what does this mean? As Lutherans, we talk about the sinful nature, but do you know what the sinful nature is? What does it mean that we are, by nature, sinful and unclean? The answer to that question has everything to do with how the sermon began. If you do not know how bad the curse is, you will never fully treasure the cure. So, what does it mean that we are by nature sinful and unclean? Well, to answer that question, we go to the Augsburg Confession, a document which summarizes and confesses what the Bible teaches 
on the topic. Article 2 of the Augsburg Confession says, Our churches teach that since the fall of Adam, citing Romans 5.12, all who are naturally born are born with sin, Psalm 51.5. That is, without fear of God, without trust in God, and with the inclination to sin, something that is called concupiscence. Concupiscence is a disease, an original vice that is truly sin. It damns and brings eternal death on those who are not born anew through baptism and the Holy Spirit, citing John chapter 3. In other words, sin is much more than thinking, saying, and doing things that are wrong. It is a terminal disease. We sin because we are sinners. We are all conceived and born in sin. We inherit it from our first parents, Adam and Eve. Now, this is commonly called original sin. Two sinners cannot possibly conceive and give birth to a perfect, sinless human being. It's simple math, as I tell the catechism students, sinner plus sinner equals more sinners. This disease and corruption of sin means that we are completely incapable of saving ourselves. We cannot contribute anything to our salvation, and we do not. There's no making a decision for Jesus. There's no reaching out and accepting his forgiveness. As it is written, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. Dead men do not make decisions. They do not accept gifts. And they do not shake hands. Dead men cannot reason or will their way to God. They are dead. How then can we be saved? The disease of sin can be overcome, but only by one medicine. The cleansing, healing, and forgiving blood of Jesus, God's own Son. The blood of Jesus is the cure. And so then, as Lent begins, we walk with Jesus to Jerusalem, and we see again the wonder of God's love for sinners and the terrible cost of our forgiveness, eternal life, and salvation. You see, when Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, he assumed our human nature. As we confessed in the Nicene Creed moments ago, Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. Why? Who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate. It means he took on flesh by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. This was necessary. Jesus had to take on our human nature in order to redeem our human nature. In the book of Philippians, St. Paul writes, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And in 2 Corinthians 2, or 2 Corinthians, he writes, For our sake, God the Father made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus taking on our flesh, our human nature, was necessary. At his baptism in the Jordan, Jesus was bathed in that filthy water for sinners, anointed as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he bore our sin to the place of the skull where he was crucified for our forgiveness and salvation. It was there, as he hung on the cross, that Jesus fulfilled all that was spoken of him by Moses and the prophets. And he proclaimed, 
It is finished, fulfilled. But dear saint, you may wonder, how does the forgiving blood of Jesus, which was shed for me some 2,000 years ago on the cross, benefit me now in 2023 at Trinity Lutheran Church in Northern Missouri? That is a good question. And it will be answered. In fact, the answer to that question is the very reason why we are here this evening. On Ash Wednesday, we remember that apart from God, we have nothing but our sin and death. Apart from God, we have no hope, no life, no forgiveness, and no salvation. Apart from Christ, we have no peace, no soundness of body, mind, and spirit, no promise of the resurrection to eternal life. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Our sermon hymn gave us the very words which express this. Just minutes ago, we sang, prayed, and confessed. From depths of woe, I cry to thee in trial and tribulation. Bend down thy gracious ear to me, Lord, hear my supplication. If thou rememberest every sin, who then could heaven ever win or stand before thy presence? This hymn, written by Martin Luther, is a paraphrase of Psalm 130. The words capture and confess our deep need for forgiveness, which can only come from the one true God. Thy love and grace alone avail to blot out my transgression. The best and holiest deeds must fail to break sin's dread oppression. Before thee, none can boasting stand, but all must fear thy strict demand and live alone by mercy. There is no amount of charity or good deed doing that will earn your forgiveness. Your good intentions, they're not good because they are still stained and corrupted by sin. And as Jesus said to the rich young man in the Gospel of Mark, no one is good but God alone. You cannot save yourself. You are a sinner. It doesn't matter how virtuous you may think you are or others think you are. The truth is, you're a sinner and your only hope is in the mercy of the one true God who created you, redeemed you by the blood of his Son, Jesus Christ, and sanctifies you by his Holy Spirit. Therefore, my hope is in the Lord, Luther writes, and not in mine own merit. It rests upon his faithful word to them of contrite spirit that he is merciful and just. This is my comfort and my trust. His help I wait with patience. The death and resurrection of Jesus is our only hope, and it is sure and it is certain, as certain as Jesus is risen from the dead. As lowly repentant sinners before a righteous God, we rest on his faithful word and promise. Our comfort is in God's mercy. Our trust is in Christ Jesus. For you see, his faithful word delivers to you the forgiveness, eternal life, and salvation which he won on the cross. How does the benefit of Jesus' cross and empty tomb come to you personally? By his chosen means. He delivers his grace and mercy to you in his word in holy baptism, in his absolution spoken over you and into you, and in his holy supper. God's word and sacraments. These are the cure to the disease and corruption of sin, and he graciously gives them to you this very day. Thanks be to God. From the prophet Joel we heard earlier, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Wherever you have been, 
Whatever you have done, repent and return to the Lord your God. You have a terminal disease, and Jesus is both your great physician and your cure. Repent and receive the grace and mercy of your Lord, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You know how bad the disease is. Hear Christ's absolving word and come to his table and receive the cure that he gives you and rejoice. The church father, St. Ignatius of Antioch, once called the Lord's Supper the medicine of immortality. Martin Luther called it a food of souls which nourishes and strengthens the new man, that is, the new creation that we are made in baptism. And he continues saying, for by baptism we are first born anew, but as we said before, there still remains, besides the old vicious nature of flesh and blood in man. And there are so many hindrances and temptations of the devil and of the world that we often become weary and faint and sometimes also stumble. Therefore, the Lord's Supper is given for a daily pasture and sustenance, that faith may refresh and strengthen itself so as not to fall back in such a battle, but become stronger and stronger. We live in the midst of a fallen world which is thoroughly corrupted by sin and the devil's lies. Ash Wednesday is a reality check. We are reminded of our mortality, and we are appointed to the only Savior from sin, death, and the devil Christ Jesus, our Lord. In his blessed word and sacraments, he gives to you, his church, his baptized, all the gifts of his cross and empty tomb. So come, Christ's weary sheep, and receive the daily pasture and sustenance that your good shepherd has provided for you. Rest in the faithful word and promise of your risen Lord. Come eat and come drink, and so rest in his mercy and grace. Though great our sins, yet greater still is God's abundant favor. His hand of mercy never will abandon us, nor waver. Our shepherd good and true is he, who will at last his Israel free from all their sin and sorrow. These final words of the sermon hymn focus us on the abundant favor and mercy of God our Savior. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. He is present here in his word and in his gifts of body and blood and water. Therefore, let us not wander from him, for he alone has the words of eternal life. As our Lenten journey begins again, let us repent in sackcloth and ashes, return to the Lord our God, and follow Jesus to the cross. For our shepherd, good and true, is he, who will at last his Israel free from all their sin and sorrow. Thanks be to God for his love and mercy shown to sinners. In the name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.